question is, what is the impact of my sin and my failures on God's plan for my life? You ever asked yourself this question? I mean, we've all been told, right, that God has this great plan for our lives, but we all wonder, especially in moments of, feel, especially in moments of failure, have I messed it all up? Will God remain faithful to me despite my failures? Or am I now completely hopeless because of this failure or that one? It, it's that question that this, that this passage seeks to answer, and it does so by giving us a story. This morning what we're going to do is we're first going to look at our story, and then we're going to spend some time unpacking what I believe God wants us to take away from this narrative and then we'll spend some time applying it to our lives. So we're going to look at the story, we're going to see the point, and then we're going to make some applications. That's our roadmap this morning. So first, let's start off with the story. The story in our passage this morning, it's all about passing down of the blessing. If you'll remember back in Genesis 12, God originally blesses Abraham. He gives him these great blessings, promising him ultimately that a savior will come from his line. This, this blessing has been passed down to Isaac in Genesis 26. And now the question in our passage before us is who will Isaac pass this blessing down to? Jacob or Esau? And as we look at the narrative this morning, we're gonna see, we really see this narrative unfold in two movements. First, we see the deception surrounding the blessing. And that's followed by the distress following the blessing. So deception and distress, right? Not what you were expecting this morning. <laughs> First, let us look at the deception surrounding the blessing. As the curtain on our scene opens, we're whisked away to the tent of Isaac, the holder of the blessing. And we're told that he's old, he's blind, and he feels close to death. And so he invites his older son Esau to come to him. And in verse 3, he says, Now then... Take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt, for, and hunt game for me so that I might eat it and my soul may bless you before I die. So far, so good, right? All of this sounds pretty normal according to the, the customs of the time. The, the father's about to die. He feels he's going to die. And so he calls his children to him so he can give them his final blessing. We'll see this again in Genesis 48 and 49. But as we consider even this, we notice that something's not right. Because weren't all of the sons supposed to receive the blessing? But here we see that God, or here we see that Isaac calls Jacob to him privately. Instead of blessing all of his children publicly, he secretly, he privately calls Esau to him that he might give him and only him this blessing. We see that it doesn't take long for the deception to begin. And while this in and of itself here would have been shocking enough to the original hearers, it becomes all the more scandalous as we consider what we've already been told, what we've already, been, what we've already seen about who is supposed to receive this blessing. If you'll remember last week in Genesis 25, God is very clear that it is Jacob who's supposed to receive this blessing, not Esau. In Genesis 25, 23, we read that the older shall serve the younger. Esau is supposed to receive Jacob, the one who receives the blessing. 
But here we see that Isaac completely disregards God's word. He completely disregards God's revealed will to him and decides to, to follow his heart or perhaps better to follow his stomach. But we need to consider what would, what would prompt Isaac to do this. You see, the background to all of this is the fact that Isaac loves Esau and not Jacob. We see this very clearly in Genesis 25 and 28, perhaps one of the most heartbreaking verses in the Bible. We read, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. It's the first explicit case of, of favoritism here in the Bible, and we will return to this later. But as we see here, Isaac is a man driven by his appetite. He's a, he's a man looking to have his stomach filled, his stomach satisfied. And Esau, the, the skillful hunter, wins his love, his approval, and his affections. It seems that Isaac is certainly blind in more than one way. Because here we see that his love for Esau has blinded him spiritually as well as he here plans to privately bless only Esau. This is Isaac's deception, but he's not the only one who's deceitful here because Esau is complicit in all of this too. As we saw last week, Esau gave up his right to the blessing when he sold his birthright to Jacob for a word of protest. But as Isaac tells him, go make me food and, I will, my, and, and my soul will be satisfied and I will give you this blessing we hear no word of correction from Esau. He could have easily spoken up. He could have easily set the record straight with his father. But instead, desiring this blessing, he goes right along with Isaac's plan. He goes out to the field to hunt for game. But it turns out that Esau is not the only one who heard his father. Because as we read in verse 5, in verse 5 we read, Now Rebekah was listening to Isaac, or was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Rebekah, as, as luck would have it, was in the, the right place at the right time, or for perhaps knowing Isaac's love for Esau had been waiting for this all along. And here she finds herself listening in to their conversation. And in response, we, we read that she does the right thing. She goes and, and talks to her husband about what God has said in his word, and they have a great conversation, and the drama's over, right? No, that would be too easy, right? That's, that's not what happens. No, instead of trusting God here, we see that she takes matters into her own plans, and she comes up with her own plan of deception. She calls to Jacob and she, she calls Jacob to him and she tells her, him her plan. And in verses 8 through 10, we read, Rebekah say to, to Jacob, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young good goats, so that I may prepare them for delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father, so that he may bless you before he dies. Seems like a good plan, right? Jacob, what you're going to do is we're going to make food faster than Esau can hunt it and prepare it. We're going to make food. We're going to slip you in there to your dad who's blind and near to death. And you're going to take this, this blessing by deception. That's the plan. But Jacob sees the fatal flaw. Look in verse 11. But Jacob, hearing this, he says to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. 
and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. You can hear him, but, but mom, what if, what if dad touches me? He's going to feel that I'm not actually Esau and instead of a blessing, I'm going to be cursed. And here we get a glimpse into Jacob's character as he is certainly living up to his name as a schemer a cheater, a deceiver. He is grabbing at Esau's heel yet again. And just notice here again that, that his, his objection here to his mom, it's not moral. It's not, mom, this is the wrong thing to do. We need to, to trust God. We need to trust his word. No, Jacob is looking out for himself. Jacob doesn't want to get caught. Jacob doesn't want to be cursed. Here we see Jacob is complicit in this as well. In response to Jacob's cry, what if I get cursed? Rebecca's response, it's, it's really remarkable and presumptuous. She tells Jacob not to worry. She says, look, if Jacob or if Isaac finds out and curses you, I'll bear your curse. She's telling, I, she's telling Jacob that she will be his substitute, receiving the curse that he would deserve. So Rebecca and Jacob come up with a plan here. They come up with a plan to, to cover Jacob's skin, his, his hands, his arms, and his neck with the skin of the goats that they will kill to feed Isaac. That should do the trick, right? And so here we are. We have these, these two deceptive plans for the blessing set in motion. What a family, huh? I mean, we just can't make this stuff up. You're not going to see anything on the big screen this summer that's more dramatic than what we have in our passage right here. Just very sad, the dysfunction that we can see in our families. This passage here is, is family drama at its finest, but we haven't seen the half of it because as we is, look, turn to verse 18, we, we reach the climactic scene the, where the, the betrayal and the deception reach their height. Follow along with me. In verse 18, we read, so Jacob's had this meal prepared for him, and we read that Jacob went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. I don't want to overanalyze what might be going on in Jacob's, in Jacob's soul at this moment, but just consider what's happening here. Jacob walks in to see his dad dressed in clothes that aren't his, bringing food that he didn't cook to receive a blessing from his father that didn't love him. He's here to hear words from his father that he has longed to hear his entire life, words of approval, words of affection, words of blessing from his father. And here he goes in covered in his brother's clothes. He goes in deceitfully. The truth is I can only imagine that this would have filled him with shame reinforcing the feelings that he's had his entire life, feelings that he is not good enough, feelings that there is something wrong, feelings that he just doesn't matter. But as we see here, Jacob pushes all of this down once again 
as he walks into his father's tent and he calls out, my father, telling him to eat the food and to give him his blessing. Perhaps it was Joseph's or Jacob's shaking hands. Perhaps it was his, his trembling voice here, but something just doesn't seem right to Isaac. And in verse 20, he says, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And thinking quickly on his feet, showing what lengths he's willing to go to to get this blessing, he utters the blasphemous words, because the Lord your God granted me success. This is how much he desires this blessing. But we see that Isaac's not buying it. In verse 21, Jacob calls out, Please come near to me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Can you, can you feel the tension in this scene? I mean, hearing these words, Jacob's face goes pale. I can only imagine his heart racing faster and faster with each step as he gets closer and closer to his father, absolutely convinced that he's going to be found out, that he's going to be shown to be the fraud that he actually is. And here's the moment of truth. Are, are, are your hands sweating here? What's, what's going to happen? In verse 22, we read, So Jacob went near to his father who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's. So he blessed him. He said, Bring it near to me that I may eat my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Jacob can breathe a sigh of relief. Their plan has worked. But they're not completely out of the woods just yet because Isaac still needs to eat this meal and give Jacob this formal blessing before Esau returns. And, Isaac knows, and Jacob knows that he can return at any moment. I mean, just picture yourself in, in Jacob's shoes here, sitting, waiting while his dad eats perhaps the longest meal of his entire life, or I'm sure it felt that way to Jacob, was with each bite and each sip of wine, Jacob is just longing for his dad to be done, to finish this meal, that he might receive this blessing and get out of there before Esau returns. We read that Isaac eats and drinks and is finally ready to give his blessing there's just one final test. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And here, having received the blessing, Jacob exits stage left as fast as possible. The deception for the blessing is complete. Now, before we look at what happens next, I do just briefly want to talk about this issue of, of favoritism that rears its head in this passage. I know it's not a direct application from this passage to our lives, but I do believe that God has a warning for all of us parents in here. Because as we see in this heartbreaking story, our favoritism doesn't go unnoticed, and it can have profound and negative impacts for our kids 
and on our entire families. I mean, just think about what, what we see in this passage here. The parents aren't talking to one another. The kids hate one another. No one in this family can be even in the same room with one another as there's only two people together at a time. It's really fascinating that when Rebecca speaks of Esau to Jacob, she doesn't say, my son. She says, your brother. And Isaac does the same later as he does not say, my son, he tells Esau, your brother, Jacob. I mean, this, there is dysfunction here in this family. And the, there's just devastation that happens. And we see it here in this story. And I know that for many of us in here, as we consider our own stories, we're aware of the damage that favoritism can have. I mean, just for me, for my own story, my own story is, is highly impacted by parental favoritism as I grew up in my older brother's shadow, deeply, I mean, just growing up in my older brother who was athletically gifted, he was intelligently smart, he was just the most popular person in any room he walked into, and my mom saw this and she just grabbed onto it. And it just created in, in me this, this deep longing for this approval, for this acceptance from my mom. And as I just sought to create this out, and I didn't know this when I was young, but I've, by God's grace, been able to look back on now and just to see the unhealthy patterns of living and loving that I'm, that I'm still working through to this day as I fight against the lie that I believe that my acceptance and my approval are, are based on my performance. Like if I'm only good enough, then I'm finally going to get my mom's approval. Or if I finally stand out enough, then I'll finally get her approval. It's just this lie and many others. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and if, you have a, if you have a similar story, if you can relate in any way at all, I just want to take this moment here to encourage you to talk to others about it. I just encourage you to seek the counsel of others who might be able to, to help you perhaps see the ways that you might be shaped by this in the ways that you are living with and loving others that might not be the most helpful and let them just speak gospel truth to your hearts. Talk with me, talk with any of the elders or their wives. I know that we would love to care with you there if this is something that you see in your life, something that is impacting you. And just uh, a helpful takeaway for us as parents um, I just think there, there's two takeaways for us here. The first would be um, just to talk with your spouse or talk with those close to you who see your parenting uh, to see if there's, a, uh, there's just a pattern, if there's a tendency in your parenting to, to favor one child over the other, to see if it's slanted or skewed towards any of your children. If you have older children here, I would just ask you to humbly ask them for their perceptions here. Ask them, do they feel like you favor one of them, and then talk about it. Seek to, to truly understand how they're seeing these things. And if necessary, repent, confess, ask for forgiveness where necessary as you ask God to help you parent without partiality. Thank you for letting me say <laughs> Well, back to our story here. We've seen the deception surrounding the blessing. Now let's briefly see the distress following the blessing. No sooner had Jacob left than Esau comes in to receive his blessing. But Esau's confused. He's just given his blessing to Esau. Who could this be asking for his blessing? And after a few moments, we see that Isaac puts together what's just happened. And in verse 33, we read, 
Then Isaac trembled very violently, and he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before all of you, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau hears the words of his father, he cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also. Hear the emotion in this passage. Isaac trembles very violently. Esau cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. These men here are distraught as they realize that their plan of deception has backfired on them. And in response, in verse 41, we see that Esau, we, we, we see Esau's response. He says, in verse 41, we read, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Filled with hatred towards his brother, Esau follows in the footsteps of Cain as he plans to kill his brother. But thankfully, Rebekah hears this too, and she arranges to have Jacob sent to Laban. In verse 42, we read, But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you, by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. And this is how our story ends, with blessed Jacob fleeing for his life with nothing but his staff. In many ways here, as we've seen, this is such a, a sad and heartbreaking story as we see the sin and the deception that surround this family. And if we're honest, we're, we're kind of left just scratching our heads wondering, what in the world is going on here? Why, why do we have this passage in our Bibles? But when we stop to think about this, to think about what this story would have meant, would have meant to the Israelites wandering around the desert, those who would have first read and heard this account, we can see here that this passage would have been a great encouragement to them as this passage here assured them that God is faithful to his purposes despite our failure. In this sad story, this sad story here would have been a great encouragement to the Israelites as it showed them that God is faithful to his purposes despite our failure. I mean, just place yourself in their sandals as you are wandering around the desert for 40 years because of your sin. And I'm sure that from time to time, you'd ask yourself, is God going to fulfill his promises? Is he still going to bless us? Is he going to do what he's promised? Is he going to bring us into the land? Or has he given up on us? Has he thrown in the towel? And as you're asking yourself these questions, imagine hearing this story read aloud and the hope and the confidence that it would bring to your soul as it shows you that despite, that despite our sin, God remains faithful to his purposes. Because that's exactly what we see play out in this story. 
Before Jacob and Esau were born, God had declared his purposes. He declared his plan. Jacob would receive the blessing. The older will serve the younger. But from the get-go here, we see that this plan is put in jeopardy. Isaac disregards God's word by planning to secretly bless Esau. Esau tries to take the blessing away after he's traded it away. And even Rebekah and Jacob aren't, out, aren't without fault. Rebekah fails to trust in God's promises as she takes matters into her own hands. And Jacob performs the ultimate deceit, blaspheming the name of God in the process. We see here in this story, it's just an account of failure after failure after failure. That's what we see here. And yet, in despite of their massive failures, despite their best efforts, they can't derail God's plan. As, one, as, as the one who's in control over all things, this story here shows us that God can use even our human sin and deception to accomplish his purposes. That's what we see here. No way, in no way does this story here seek to minimize or excuse our sin. In fact, if, if you, you heard the story that way, it, it, we would really read it quite the opposite way. It would have the, the opposite effect as we consider the consequences that everyone in this story experiences. The story really, it turns out to be a great encouragement to not sin. It's a, it's a great encouragement to follow and listen to God's word. I mean, just think about Jacob. As the curtain closes here on this story, Jacob is sent into exile. He is kicked out of the land of promise, sent away from the comforts of home. He is sent away from all of the possessions and the inheritance that were now his. And perhaps most tragically for him, he would never see his mom again. The mom, the one person who loved him. He's sent away and he will never see her Again, yes, he received the blessing, but as a consequence for his sin here, he's lost everything that was meaningful to him. So while in no way does this passage here exclude or excuse our sin, as the, as the Israelites wandered the desert, seeing this example of God's faithfulness to his, purpose, to his purposes, despite our sins, despite our failures, would have filled their hearts with hope, and encouragement. It would reassure them that God is going to remain faithful to them even though they failed again. He hadn't given up on them. He wasn't moving on. Even though they failed, God will remain faithful to them. After all, they knew that he remained faithful to Jacob. Church, I just want to ask you, where, where do you need to hear these words of hope and confidence this morning? The truth is that we've all come in here today very aware of the many ways that we failed in the past week or in our life. For you, it, perhaps it could be a failure in your, your fight against sin as you've once again given in to the temptation to lust by, by visiting that website on your phone again. Or maybe you sinfully gave in to your anger in that conversation with your coworker or with your child. Perhaps weighing down on you right now, perhaps in the forefront of your mind, is a relational failure with a spouse, with a parent, or with a friend, past or present, as you are very aware of the ways that you have hurt and wronged another. And the truth is, it could be a million other things. 
We are all aware of our failures. And the problem, you see, it's not just that we failed, but it's that we replay these failures over and over and over in our heads, like they're blooper reel on repeats, only they don't make us want to laugh, right? Instead, they fill us with guilt, they fill us with shame as we live under the weight, allowing them to define us. thought of a, a, an example here. Many of you might not know this about me, but I am a pretty big baseball fan. <laughs> and, and, and thinking about this, this way that we can just replay our failures over and over and over again, I was, I was reminded of perhaps the most iconic failure in recent sports history, one that happened during the 10th inning of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. You may remember this event well, but in the bottom of the 10th inning, game tied, the Red Sox winning this game, winning the World Series, Bill Buckner, their first baseman, misplays a ground ball, having it pass through his legs into right field, allowing the Mets to score the game-winning run to tie the series And the Red Sox go on to lose game seven. And this moment of this ball going through Bill Buckner's legs is just strangely immortalized in sports history. I'm sure all of you can picture the scene right now of the ball going under his legs. And you see this highlight reel that we've seen, this blooper from Bill Buckner, it changes the way we look at him, right? changes the way we think of him. He's, he's not the 1980 baseball, he's not the 1980 batting champion in the National League. He's not the 81 all-star. No, no, he's the guy who let the ball go through his legs. And friends, the same can be us for our fail- same can be true for us with our failures. As we replay them over and over and over in our minds, we can allow them to define us. And in our minds, we can become the person who will never be good enough or who will never amount to anything. We can become the person who will never experience growth in our Christian lives, the person who will never be used by anything, who will never be used by God for anything good. And it's into these thoughts here that God reminds us that despite our failures, he is faithful. He did it for the Israelites, and this passage here assures us that he will accomplish his purposes for each and every one of us. And what are God's purposes? They are many, but I think two handles for us to think about is that it is God's purpose to save and to sanctify a people for his son, Jesus. This has always been his plan from the garden and from eternity past. It has been God's plan to save a people for himself and to sanctify them, to to make them more like Jesus. And so if you're a Christian in here this morning, know, have confidence that God will absolutely accomplish these purposes in your life. He has already saved you and he has promised, he has purposed to make you more like Christ. Because, and just, 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 just let this fill you with hope. Knowing that we are not defined by our past failures, we're not defined by our present struggles, because if we are trusting in Jesus, we are defined by him, what he's done for us, and what he has promised to do in each of our lives. 
And here this gives us confidence that despite our failures, despite our shortcomings and our weaknesses, God is working in us. We can keep going. We can keep fighting, confident that as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, that God who began a good work in each one of our hearts will complete it. This week, the Spirit has just really used 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 to minister to my heart. If you have your, your Bibles or if you're on your phone, flip to, to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. We're going to close with this. These are verses to underline, to, to highlight, to do whatever you do in your Bible to make something come to your attention. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's prayer. May may God sanctify us completely. May he make us perfectly like Jesus. And we're not left wondering, well, is this up to me? Is this dependent upon my actions? Is this dependent on how well I do or I don't do? Because look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, God is faithful to us. Despite our weaknesses, despite our failures, despite our shortcomings, whatever is in our past, whatever we have done or not done that plagues us to today, God remains faithful to us. He will accomplish his his purposes for us. He will sanctify us completely, making us perfectly like Christ. We don't have to live in fear that God's going to abandon us. The next time we mess up, this passage here, these passages here assure our hearts that God's not going anywhere. He's not looking for a reason to leave. He's not giving up on us. He remains faithful despite our failures. And friends, we ultimately know this because we can look back to the cross, the ultimate and supreme display of God's faithfulness to each and every one of us. Because it's on the cross that Jesus graciously says to us, What Rebecca rashly said to Jacob, let the curse fall on me so that you can get the blessing. You see, Rebecca didn't have a clue what she was talking about, but Jesus did. And on the cross, he took our curse that we might inherit his blessing. On the curse, uh, um, hear what Paul says in Galatians 3, is Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. On the cross here, we see that Jesus is the better Jacob because while Jacob put on clothes to receive a blessing, Jesus put on our clothes, he put on human flesh to receive our, to receive our curse. Jacob approached his father in fear and trembling, but Jesus approached the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jacob betrays his father with a kiss, but Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. And because Jesus bore our curse, we are clothed with his righteousness and we receive his blessing. So are you here struggling with failure? Are you overwhelmed with your sin, wondering if God still cares? Is he going to remain faithful? Look to the story of Jacob and Esau 
look to the cross and see that God is faithful. I want to invite the band up. I want to release the ushers because as we close our service, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But before we take the Lord's Supper, I'd like to just give each of us a few moments to reflect